and um, I found a few of them. And it lists some of the history's all-time most prophetic goofs. I mean, that's the best word that I could come up for it. And one of them is King George said in 1773 that the American colonies had little stomach for revolution. I don't think our founding fathers liked that comment. And there was an, an official of, of the White Star Line speaking of the firm's newly built flagship, the Titanic, that launched in 1912. He declared that the ship was unsinkable. And in 1939, excuse me, an, an English astronomy professor said in the early 19th century that air travel at high speed would be impossible because passengers would suffocate. Well, well, we have airplanes now. And once again in 1939, the New York Times said the problem of TV was that people would have to glue their eyes to it and that the average, and that the average American wouldn't have time for it. And that was long before Netflix. And also, let's talk about predicting the weather. You know, we have the latest technology. We have all these te technological things that tell us what the weather conditions are and what the weather should be doing and even what the weather could be doing. However, how many times has the weather fooled us and done something totally different. And when the weather forecast calls for snow, kids, let, let's be honest, how many of us, when we hear that, that the forecast is calling for snow and we get all excited, well, adults too, yeah, I, I, I see some hands raising, but then we wake up the next morning and nothing. It's a letdown, isn't it? And there are also times when the forecast is calling for not much at all, but then we wake up the next morning and there's a foot of snow on the ground. You see, it is so hard to accurately predict the weather each time. And we can say the same about prophecy. We may think we have prophecy figured out. Or we may think that we have found the answer. And we may think we have a pretty good understanding of it, but um, time and time again, how many times... Has God surprised us and surprised others? Our text this morning is from the book of Micah, chapter 5. And I'm going to be using verses 1 through 6. So Micah 5, 1 through 6. It says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock, <clears throat> excuse me, in strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight 
princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our borders. You being my church family, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to have a time of confession this morning. I always get uncomfortable when I am teaching anything about prophecy. It's a topic that has always concerned me, and it should. But it is a topic that has always also had my fascination. Whether it's scary or whether it's encouraging, it shows us how important it needs to be that we take Scripture as a whole and not just take bits and pieces of Scripture. So this morning... I'm going to discuss two very important clues that the prophet Micah is giving us here. Two clues that we as Christians, that we as believers, I feel need to understand. And these clues that Micah is giving us in his prophecy, I'm sure that they will be very welcome and encouraging news as well. The first clue that Micah is giving us that we as believers need to understand is that Jesus was here before Bethlehem. He was here long before his birth in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 1 through 2 says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. What the prophet Micah is doing here is he is is announcing that Israel is getting ready to be humbled by foreign powers. Right now, he's not giving them the best of news, and even their judges will be bearing insults. It, It was at this time that of during this humiliation under foreign powers that God is going to rise up a great ruler from a very humble place. That place being Bethlehem. And some of you are probably thinking to yourself right now, well, Adam, are you, I mean, it's, it's October 31st. It's not even close to Thanksgiving yet. Or are you preaching a Christmas sermon? No. Just like I said before, this is prophecy. Something that was foretold long ago. Something that we can still apply today. You see, Bethlehem is a small town among the clans of Judah. It's very small. Yet here is where God chooses chooses to bring his Messiah out of this town. I wonder why. Why such a small town, such a small area? Well, Jesus is of the lineage of Jesus or or of David. And David was born in Bethlehem. He's from Bethlehem. His family is from Bethlehem. That's true. However, we could miss the point of verse 2. The point of verse 2 is that Bethlehem, yes, even though being small and not great in all of Israel, 
just because David was born there. It is great for another reason, a much more important reason. And, and the scribes missed this reason whenever they told um, King Herod when the Messiah and where the Messiah was going to be born. You see, because they informed King Herod that he was to be born in Bethlehem in and, and Matthew 2.6. But they missed the point altogether. All and I feel the Apostle Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He said, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where, it, where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You see, God chooses somewhere, something, someone, small, someplace out of the way, and does something there that changes the course of history and eternity. God uses the most unlikely places, sometimes the most unlikely people, and God has a way of using what humanity may deem as small or, or insignificant to do some pretty big things. Remember when Samuel was going to anoint the next king of Israel. God had rejected Saul. But do you remember what God told Samuel whenever he rejected his, um, uh, David's older brothers? In 1 Samuel 6, 7, or excuse me, 16, 7, he says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on his height or on his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God doesn't look at what we humans look at. He looks at something deeper. And Bethlehem was well known, well, partly at the time that it was that it was was from David was born their greatest king yet it was never a great huge or influential city however God chose this birthplace of the Messiah and did you guys know that the word Bethlehem means house of bread does that kind of strike you as odd because isn't Jesus the bread of life John six thirty five says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Kind of interesting, isn't that? Then there is that interesting word, Ephrathah. I'm sure some of us are wondering, what in the world does Ephrathah mean? And, 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 and why is it there? Well, that is the old name in, in which the Jews loved and, and retained. It's a wonderful word. What Ephrathah means is fruitfulness and abundance. Could Micah, from God's own words, have been referring to Bethlehem as having fruitfulness and, and abundance? It was a small town and out of the way, but I wonder if it was a beautiful area. Sounds like it. This glorious promise was fulfilled in, in Christ Jesus and Micah's prophecy. And, and Micah is declaring here that though Jesus came from Bethlehem, Jesus did not begin here. Because in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And John even said himself, um, excuse me, Jesus said himself in John 17, 5. Jesus said, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus was speaking of a time before the world existed. And he's telling us that there was a relationship of love and fellowship and shared glory that the Father and the Son had already shared before, before his birth in Bethlehem. And Jesus is also the creator of all things. The Apostle Paul even spoke of that in Colossians 1, 16 through 17. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. From eternity past, God's plan of the ages included Jesus. It was all about Jesus. And Micah is, is presenting us with this vital clue, not only about Jesus' birthplace, where he was to be born, but, but what this prophecy teaches us also is that he has been here since before then. Jesus has always been here. He was here long before Bethlehem. The second clue that we, that we as believers need to understand that Micah is, is presenting to us is that Jesus still delivers us. He still delivers us. In our text this morning, verses 3 through 6, it says, Therefore he, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And, and he shall... Be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of, of Assyria with a sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. What the prophet Micah is is anticipating here is a future time. It's a future time that um, one is partially fulfilled by, by the Babylonian exile and also a time when Israel will be ultimately um, returning and also being fulfilled with the great uh, tribulation and when Israel is restored. But in both those eras, when, when the Lord will seem distant from Israel, he, he will seem distant until the time is ready, until the time is right. And the amazing thing about Micah's prophecy here is that, he, is that he is reasserting the certainty of this promise, not at a time when Israel is, is rising to power, but when it appears to be that Israel is failing. Things are not going well in Israel at all. Because you see, the northern kingdom has been destroyed. And the southern kingdom will come under the judgment of God soon enough. But what brought about all this? What caused it? 
Could Israel have turned their back on God, sunk into idolatry, forgotten their first love, forgotten that, that, uh, uh, that they were not supposed to make for themselves engraved in images, keeping the law holy? However, God was not finished with them, not yet. The point that I'm making this morning is the coming of Christ was the confirmation of the promises of God. And, and this is what the Apostle Paul says about it in Romans 15, 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Also, we said in 2 in Corinthians chapter 1, uh, the first part of verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Jesus is our divine confirmation of all of God's promises. The divine confirmation. So what are we as Christians? What are we as believers? What are we as the Columbia Christian Church? What are we supposed to do with these promises? Well, shouldn't we be enjoying these promises? Shouldn't we be standing on these promises? That's a wonderful song, isn't it? But, but most importantly, shouldn't we also be sharing these promises? Not keeping them to ourselves? You see, Jesus is our strength, and he has become the standing of his people. He's become the standing of our people. We will abide because of his greatness. It isn't just that the ruler from Bethlehem brings peace. He is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the, the dividing wall of hostility. Maybe we need more Jesus if we want more peace. And, and there's a particular pattern here in Micah, just like there was a, a pattern in, in all the other prophets. Micah also appeared to be blending near and distant ages in, in his property or, or in his prophecy as well. And, and the threat of the Assyrians would come against both kingdoms shortly. It was getting ready to happen. Israel had turned their back on God. And Micah, um, among other prophets, had been trying to warn them. But Micah also used the idea of the Assyrians for any pagan nation or empire to set itself against God's people. In Luke 21, verse 24, Jesus says, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That is why we must take the word of God as a whole. We cannot pick and choose certain verses, certain scriptures, certain prophecies, and, 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 and make them assume that they mean what we might think they mean or what we might want them to mean. See, the prophets spoke of nations against Israel and, and, and even those rising above God's people. even those rising above God's people in more present times.
And there are times when, you know, we may be asking ourselves, well, how, how is Jesus sustaining us now? You're probably thinking, well, Adam, you're giving us all this information and, and, and all the scripture. How is Jesus still sustaining us now? The prophet Micah, had, or, or excuse me, Isaiah had this to say in chapter 45, verses 16 through 17. He said, all of them are put to shame and, and, and confounded and, and, and makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel is saved by the, by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. I'm going to read that last part again. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. Sounds like he's speaking of salvation to me. And, and, and who brings us salvation? Sounds like it's secure. And there are times when, when it seems as though the enemies of God's people are rising against us. Sometimes in in numbers and difficulties that are too d difficult or painful to count. However, we need to remember that we are under God's blessing, even though it seems like the problems are mounting up, our enemies are mounting up. And it is also during these times that God often works in certain ways, unforeseen ways, to not only deliver us from, from his enemies, but to sustain us as well. By allowing us to grow closer and closer to him. Did, did we notice a pattern in scripture? All those people Jesus spent time with. Some of them, well, a lot of them went through some very uh, unfortunate times. But did you notice how closer he brought them to him? And speaking of the Assyrians earlier. Isaiah says in chapter 37, verses 33 through 34, he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or, or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that it came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. In other words, God was letting them know. He is not going to defeat me. And, and, he, and he tells us that today too. Our physical enemies are, are no match for him. Our spiritual enemies are, are no match for him either. That is why we as believers, we as Christians, need to keep our minds, our eyes, and our hearts on our, on our Savior. We need to keep our hearts on our Savior. In Hebrews 13, 6, Paul says, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What do we do during those times when we feel that we are merely treading water? Times are just not making any sense whatsoever. Maybe we're in pain. Physically, emotionally, mentally. What do we do during those times? How many of us ha ha have ever asked, Jesus, where are you? I'm sure those in the Old Testament would, would ask God, where are you? 
What if I told you that he's always been here and, and, and he never left? So what are we to do to grow closer to him? The contemporary Christian group, Newsboys, they're popular for singing God's Not Dead. And, and even though that song came out several years ago, it's still a very popular song. But they've got another song that has, has got a beautiful meaning as well. The song is called Running to You. And the lyrics get it right. The second verse in the bridge of the song goes like this. I can see the tear on your face. You feel defeated. Wondering what are you living for? Selfish dreams lift you time and time empty handed. There's got to be something more. You know what you have to do. Get back to who you know is true. When everything is broken, there's a door wide open. You'll find me running through. More than just emotion, my broken heart has chosen. Jesus, I'm running to you. I'm running to you. You're the only one who can fix what I've become. Oh God, I believe in your love. When everything is broken, there's a door wide open. You'll find me running to you. More than just emotion, my broken heart has chosen. Jesus, I'm running to you. What do we do? We run to Jesus. And that's what God wants us to do. That's what he was telling his people through the prophets. Come back to me. The prophets were passionately crying out, return. Something is coming, return. Is he, is he telling us something different or something the same today? Because indeed, where else can we go? Jesus still delivers. He still sustains. And he still guides us today. He's been here the whole time. God's plan has been at work. Long before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. God's plan is, has, has been in work since before the beginning. He's had it all figured out. Jesus just put, he brought it all to fruition. What greater love could our Savior and our Creator have for, for each and every one of us? I'm going to conclude this morning by saying Jesus began his ministry by being hungry. Yet he is the bread of life. Jesus ended his earthly ministry by being thirsty. Yet he is the living water. Jesus was weary. Yet he is our rest. Jesus paid tribute. But, but he is king. Jesus was accused of having a demon. But yet he cast out demons. Jesus wept. But yet he wipes away our tears. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Yet he redeemed the world. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Yet he is the good shepherd. Jesus died. But yet by his death. He destroyed the power of death. 
the whole Word of God, the whole Bible, every chapter, every verse, all Scripture is God-breathed. And it points us directly to Jesus. We're, we're going to take a few moments here. We're going to take a few moments of meditation right now. Dwayne's going to use his talent and he's going to play a little bit. Let's use this time. Maybe we need to run back to God. Maybe we need to run to Jesus right now. Maybe we're struggling and, and we don't know why. Maybe something is bothering us. Maybe there's some big decisions that we need to make. Maybe there's some mistakes that we need to be forgiven for. Or mistakes that we need to face. Or maybe we need to sit here and pray about maybe there's more that we could, that, uh, that we could be doing. Let's spend a few moments.